Yes. Uh, the other interesting sort of challenge I'm navigating now that I'm sort of realizing could be some sort of when we were practicing worship, I was sort of experiencing this, is I've become farsighted in the last six months. I'll be 47 in December. And so I actually bought reading glasses for the first time this past week. Uh, and uh, it's a particular blow to my sort of adolescent pride still in me because at one point I had better than 2020 vision, at least in one of my eyes, and now it's, it's not there anymore. But, uh, but anyways, I thought I had printed this in a big enough font, my notes, but I'm like, oh, that's a little out of focus. Like, maybe I need to stand on the... So, and when we were practicing, I had to like move the music stand further and further away from me uh, and such, because I did not bring the glasses, because I'm not used to it. But, um, well, yes, it is good to be with you here today. Um, uh, I've been coming to Pleasant Hill now for a handful of years. Uh, like Paul said, I'm an elder here. Um, getting to the privilege of standing in and preaching today. Um, and in a way, you've become family to me, which is beautiful. Um, and what I'm about to share with you here is deeply personal. Uh, I offer it today in the hope that God will bring about greater compassion, greater understanding, and greater freedom and healing as a result. Come, Lord Jesus. Teach us to walk in your ways with ourselves and each other. Uh, the title of the sermon, uh, it should be in your bulletin, I believe, is, in quotes, I'm right here, Joe. That's me, God speaking to me. Uh, my journey through the dark valley. So, so have you ever felt really sad? I mean, really sad. Like, so sad that everything is overwhelming. And even the things you love, you don't even really want to get out of bed in the morning. You really don't have the energy to do anything. Uh, for the last 15 and a half years of my life, I have felt this way from time to time. Sometimes much more often than not. This is called clinical depression. Uh, and I'm sure many of you are well acquainted with it, either because of your own struggles uh, or because of the struggles of others. Uh, depression is a complicated disease, almost always a confusing amalgamation of physical, mental, and emotional issues. Um, this has certainly been my experience. As with anything unforeseen and hoped against, no one ever really thinks they'll be depressed or stay depressed. The shock and dismay continue to be at times worse than the actual depression itself. Have you ever been blindsided by something? Has the thought ever crossed your mind? It's bad enough that you've let this happen, God. Why couldn't you have at least given me fair warning? Uh, recently, as I've studied and prayed, 
in preparation really for this sermon as much as anything else. I've come to believe that Psalm 23, which Paul read for us earlier, was inspired and written, at least in part, to speak directly to this kind of situation and and struggle. Here's how it sounds to me in my head when I read it. God, my shepherd, I don't need a thing. You have bedded me down in lush meadows. You find me quiet pools to drink from. True to your word, you let me catch my breath and send me in the right direction. Even when the way goes through through death valley, I am not afraid when you walk at my side. Your trusty shepherd's crook makes me feel secure. You serve me a six-course dinner right in front of my enemies. You revive my drooping head. My cup brims with blessing. Your beauty and love chase after me every day of my life. I'm back home in the house of God for the rest of my life. In the valley, uh, in the Hebrew, the sort of image is basically of like, uh, sometimes you read it, it says like, uh, even though I walk through like death valley, through the darkest valley, through, but sort of the idea of like uh, a dark foreboding, not necessarily sort of spiritually, but physically space where you can't see around you. Uh, sort of in that kind of reality where There might be something on the ground that I could trip over and hurt myself because I really just can't see much of anything. That in that space, God is with us. As I was preparing, um, it struck me that the conventional description of the grieving process, sort of often thought of as like the five steps to grief, Uh, is perhaps the best way to describe my initial experience with depression, and in a way, my ongoing experience with it. And I share this because I think, at least for me, uh, I'd grown up knowing people, including people in my immediate family who had mental health issues, that struggled with depression, bipolar disorder. Um, But until it was something that was my experience... There were things about it that I did not understand. Um, And I think that's actually often true in life. Um, There are things that others experience uh, that, for whatever reason, we do not have those same experiences. May God help us to resist the temptation to write off what other people's stories are because they are different from ours to listen well, uh, to believe. So, as I was saying, like the grieving process. So, the first stage of grief, they call, is denial most of the time. So, within sort of the framework of depression and being depressed, this would be, for me, I don't need medicine. I'm a happy person. What is wrong with me? This can't be happening to me. 
And this was how it felt when it started 15 and a half years ago. And then eventually denial moved into anger. This wasn't supposed to happen to me. I didn't do anything wrong. I think in part the anger felt particularly real and personal and shameful because of my own family struggle with these issues. Uh, that in this sort of logic that was playing around in my head, or illogic, in these arguments I was having with God, uh, if somehow me not doing anything wrong should mean that I don't get depressed, that would therefore imply that the people who I know and love who are did something wrong. And that somehow God was punishing them. And that is not true. Was not true. Then often you move into bargaining next. Certainly is what I did. Uh, I'll go to counseling. I'll get help. I'll take medicine. I'll talk to my doctor about it. But only for a little while. Um. And then, uh, interestingly enough, this cracked me up. The next stage in the grieving process is depression. (laughs) And I was like, that's really true. Like, there definitely have been long seasons where I feel like the thing I'm the most depressed about is the fact that I'm depressed. (laughs) Um. And then finally, acceptance. And I feel like this started to happen for me about 12 years ago. So there were like three and a half years, probably the first six months of which I was basically just in denial. But three years where I was actively trying to deal with this struggle in my life. Uh, But really was not in the sort of psychological sense, emotional sense, even the sort of in the way that it's discussed within sort of 12-step programs. I had not accepted it. Um, How I wrote it here in my notes is, I finally began to make peace with it. Uh, And I think something that we need to be clear about, uh, acceptance is not the same thing, and I think this is one of the reasons why I fought against accepting this, and I think oftentimes why we fight against accepting other things that we disagree with, even other people that we disagree with theologically, spiritually, is because we're confused about acceptance. I know I was. But it is not the same thing as approval. <laughs> uh, it's just admitting that something is what it is. And this was huge for me in my own journey and continues to be. But 12 years ago, even after kind of entering into this space of acceptance, I was still having a lot of trouble. I'd be fine for a while and then just sort of like would cascade down uh, into sort of 
a great a sort of even deeper state of sadness and grief. Uh, and in particular, I sensed in myself that I was angry and anxious and that the traumas of my past and present haunted me almost every day. Um, something I think that it's also helpful to clarify, uh, and for those of you who've in the room who've studied Scripture a fair amount, you're probably making these connections already in some of the things I've said, but that... Uh, Jesus really cautions people, uh, because it was common in his day and still is in ours, to assume that a certain struggle was a result of a certain sin, always. So the blind man is blind because his parents sinned or because he sinned. In one interaction Jesus has with the disciples, this is what they're discussing. And Jesus said, like, none of that is actually true. So I had, and still do, have traumas in my life that I'm working through. Pain, sorrow, ways I've been sinned against and ways I've sinned against others. Uh, but I don't think that I was depressed solely because of those things, or that I am. It's more complicated than that. There are many factors involved. Sometimes when people are dealing with depression, if they actually begin to deal with their traumas, they really, in a sense, get over it in a way. They, they heal, and they actually don't need medicine or even to start taking it, or they are able to stop. Uh, but in my experience and in the people I've known, that is very rare. Because it's complicated. It's a complicated mix of chemicals in the brain, experiences that have happened in our lives and in our minds and hearts. Um, so, that being said, at this season, I was very haunted by these things the traumas, the pain, the sadness. And finally, uh, in mid-March of 2012, so this is like, I think, a few months into this season of acceptance, but also feeling pretty miserable a fair amount of the time. Uh, I got good and fed up about how I was doing, and I got really depressed. <laughs> uh, and in uh, uh, sort of 12-step recovery speak, you could say, I hit rock bottom, in a way. Uh, I hit a wall. I told my counselor at the time, someone I saw for many years, that I was still certain that I was more whole and healthier than I had ever been before, but there were parts of me that had never fully healed. All I had was the very first layer of skin, like a second-degree burn at the first stages of healing and I was super sensitive as a result. One moment I was fine, and the next moment I was raw and open again. That same day, in the evening, I called up my brother Dave, 
Uh, I'm the oldest of three boys. Dave is the middle one. And asked if he could pray for me. Um, at one point, all three of us uh, Fick boys, my last name is Fick, worked for InterVarsity Christian Fellowship. So uh, the youngest just graduated from seminary, and he's not on staff anymore. But all of us have been in vocational ministry for a decent amount of our adult lives. Um, Dave was and still is one of my best friends, and he'd recently at that point completed a training in prayer ministry, which was why I'd sort of reached out to him. Um, What occurred next was one of those mustard seed of faith, giant boulder of desperation, uh, nearly audible voice of God experiences. So basically the way the process works is I shared with Dave why I wanted some prayer, how I was feeling. And then basically... uh, And we did this all over the phone. I should include that. Uh, This is long enough ago, Zoom did not exist. (laughs) FaceTime existed, but people didn't use it a ton. My memory, at least, is is that it was all just over the phone. So we got quiet, and then Dave basically uh, prayed and asked God to sort of like come, for the Holy Spirit to come, And speak his words to us. Uh, In a sense, very much a time of waiting on God together and seeing what he had to say to us, as opposed to, I'm sad and someone prays for me that I won't be sad anymore. Which is potentially a fine thing to pray for. My point is that this was a different experience. Um, And God brought scriptures to our minds um, and images in our minds as well. Um, That were incredibly significant for me then and have been since. So the first thing, the scriptures came at the end. The images came first. And there were like three images and three scriptures, which is nice and balanced, and, but isn't the way it has to happen. But it happened that way this time. <laughs> um, and in the first image, I was uh, sort of pressing in. It was a picture of sort of one of the really traumatic experiences in my life, and I was discovering something horrible in my mind, like in the image that... Uh, the image that I saw, kind of the little video in my head, was like me finding out about something. And Jesus was right there, on my, like standing there. I could see him physically standing there behind me in this image, showing me something that I needed to see. Um, and this was at a place in my life where I was really a mess. Other people I loved were also a mess, but I was really a mess. And as Dave and I sort of processed this and prayed through this image, what we sensed God was saying is, Jesus has always been and always will be with me, 
pointing the way, even when I'm a mess. that in that experience, sort of the image that I had in my mind, when that actually happened in my life, I did not feel like God was near me at all. I felt very alone. And I think when, when we have wounds and traumas and we go to God and pray for healing, very often what God does, if we will let him, is he helps us to see where he was in those places and times where we felt like he was not present at all. He was with me in the dark valley. Uh, and then my brother had this picture of like a road paved with banana peels, which is weird. Um, but he said like, as we talked about it, one of the things he said to me is like, Joe, I feel like this is sort of like an image of like, there's a lot of stuff in your head and a lot of it feels very unstable to you. So what came out of that is this phrase, what is slippery, what, are, what is slippery are the lies. Walk on the granite road. And the idea was really, if something felt slippery to me, an idea I was having, a thought I was having, I didn't need to sort of instantly categorize it as a lie, <laughs> But I needed to believe that God had sure things for me to stand on and to look for those things. Uh, I will get back to the... uh, uh, Actually, I said images. I should have said three truths that kind of came as images. The third one actually came is like a clear voice in my mind. And I'll come back to it here. But the three scriptures uh, that we uh, talked about, my brother and I at that point, uh, and I said these were all references that just came to Dave as he was praying. So the first was 2 Kings 6, 16 to 17. Uh, uh, And... uh, And it's, I believe it's Elijah, I should have written this down, Elijah and Elisha are with each other. Elijah has not been taken up into heaven. The two of them are together. And in verse 16 it begins, Do not be afraid, the prophet answered. Those who are with us are more than those who are with them. And Elisha prayed, Open his eyes, Lord, so that he may see. Then the Lord opened the servant's eyes, and he looked, and he saw the hills full of horses and chariots of fire all around Elisha. So in this scene, uh, Elisha and I believe Elijah are sort of hemmed in by many things. Uh, They are surrounded But God opens their eyes and they see that actually God is surrounding them and those who are surrounding them. 
The second passage is Matthew 7.13, which is, Enter through the narrow gate, for wide is the gate and broad is the road that leads to destruction. And many enter through it. In this, similar, I think, to the image of the road paved with banana peels. <laughs> it's funny, this, that passage, this verse, uh, I think often feels, sounds, uh, it's very, in some ways, seems like a very limited, limiting kind of thing. Like there's a narrow way, and I've got to find this way because there's all kinds of other ways that could be really bad. But at this moment, and I feel like still now, when I'm in a dark place, it's actually really reassuring to me because what it feels like is that there's no way at all that every path leads to destruction. So the promise in this, that actually there is a way that leads to life, I may not be able to see it or feel it or sense it, but I can be confident that it's there. Lastly, John 6, 68 to 69. Uh, This comes on the heels of God, of Jesus, asking his disciples if they were also going to leave him. Jesus has said some hard things, and a lot of people have just left. Um, Hard things about suffering and sacrifice. Etc. And the disciples, this is what they say to him. They say, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. We have come to believe and to know that you are the Holy One of God. When I was hard pressed back then, in that moment, that evening praying with Dave, when I am hard-pressed now and when I have been over the last 12 years, the reality of God's care for me and the work he has done in my life over the whole course of my life are a sucker to me, are a, uh, are a refuge to me. And that's what I see in this passage the disciples maybe don't get what Jesus is talking about. And I think if we look at the broader context, we could be certain that they don't. (laughs) But they have come to believe that Jesus is who he says he is. And so they have nowhere else to go. Um, Sometimes I feel happy to stay with God. Sometimes I don't because I'm not getting the answers I like or want because things don't seem clear to me. But I am confident that I need Jesus. And by God's grace and with his strength, I can stick with him. So, in closing, uh, I'm certain 
that some of you already know exactly what God wants you to take away from today's message. You've been sensing the Holy Spirit's gentle nudges and encouragements for some time. Maybe clinical depression, anxiety, other mental health things are part of your life and you've been living maybe in some place of secrecy even about it or shame. I think God, God is inviting you to let go of those things, to receive his love for you in the midst of your circumstances. And probably more even than that. That's just my encouragement. Um, and the other thing I'll highlight is that... Uh, um, Christians who are sort of theologically orthodox, evangelical, if you will, we don't have a good track record of navigating mental health well. I think we're better at it than we used to be, certainly. Um, But still not good. I mean, to the point where when I was talking to Pastor Scott about teaching about this, I said, like, is Pleasant Hill ready for this? Because I think it's foolish to assume that a church is. There are still plenty of churches where, like, this is just not something you talk about. Uh, Where depression is still seen more as a sign of spiritual weakness than anything else. But I think we don't get any better. God doesn't change us unless we are willing to accept where we're at. And so if you sense in yourself, geez, that's kind of still how I feel about it. I think God has an invitation to you today as well. That probably involves repentance change. Even with all of my somewhat meddling comments here, um, I'm still pretty sure that there's probably some of you who really aren't sure where God is inviting you to go with him right now today. And for the sake of both parties, we're going to take a couple minutes to sit and reflect and receive God's care. So if you need a question and a prompt, here is one. What is one of the dark valleys in your life right now? And then the prompt is, invite God to open your eyes and heart so that you can see his shepherding care and sense his provision and direction in the valley. So Paul is going to play some instrumental music here for us and, and, then, uh, and then we'll uh, go into a time of worship. But let me pray quick here for us.
Mm. Holy Spirit, you are here. We welcome you. Do in us, help us, do in us what we need you to do, even if we don't know it, Lord. Help my brothers and sisters to receive whatever you have for them right now. Thank you, God.
Uh, we thank you, Lord, uh, that you are with us, Lord, always. Jesus said to the disciples, I've told you all this so that trusting me, you will be unshakable and assured, deeply at peace. In this godless world, you will continue to experience difficulties. But take heart, I have conquered the world. Jesus, the places where we have not seen you, the places in our past, our experiences, those moments where we have felt alone, come into our hearts and into our minds and show us the ways in which you were there, the ways in which the truth of the matter, uh, that you have never left us or forsaken us. Lord, I pray if there's anyone in the congregation today who really needs to get help, that you would give them the courage and the humility to seek it out. And Lord, I pray that if anyone has been sensing in themselves uh, your conviction, Holy Spirit, about their attitudes around these sorts of issues, Lord, either in general or towards specific people, that you would give them the courage to repent, to make amends, that you would bless them with reconciliation, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. Pray these things in your name. Amen.